When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following is a presentation of the Houston Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. The Houston Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. This is Cougar Sports Magazine. Over the next hour, you'll hear great interviews and insights about all things University of Houston Athletics. Now, here's your host, Matt Thomas. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Cougar Sports Magazine. I'm Matt Thomas, and over the next hour, you are going to hear from head coach Dana Holgerson. You'll be hearing from the director of athletics, Chris Pesman, and they'll wrap things up by going on the U of H beat with our good friend Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle. Of course, the Cougars coming off the loss last week to UCF and will be on the road to take on a team that a lot of folks believe, at least around the country, could be a legitimate non-Power 5 school to sneak into the college football playoff. Now, hopefully the Cougars will have a chance to interrupt those plans coming up on Saturday. That game will be on our sister station, 950 KPRC. I'll have the pregame show at 1.30. Scheduled kickoff time is just past 2.30. Speaking of ruining those plans, that's what Dana Holgerson wants to do. He met with the media a couple of days ago in preparation for the game against the Bearcats. He also had a chance to update us on some injuries and what's expected in this Saturday's game up in Ohio. First things first, he has to applaud that depth chart of Cincinnati that is loaded with veteran talent. Uh, sound, athletic, and old uh, up front. They're senior, 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 junior backups or senior, junior, senior, senior. Linebackers, they go senior, senior, senior. Uh, nickelback, uh, really good player number nine is, is a sophomore. Uh, safeties are senior, senior. Corners are senior, sophomore. Get my point? 
So, you know, Coach Fickle, uh, you know, is a really good football coach, uh, has been there since 16. What's that make it? Uh, it's his fifth year or yeah, it's going on his fifth year. So established, all these are his guys. He's been coaching them the same way for five years. Uh, I, I hope and pray that they have me around here long enough to be able to, at five years into it, sit here and talk about all my seniors that have been in the program for the last five years. They're sound, they're fast, they're tough, they're physical, they're athletic, they play with great effort, and they play well together as a team. Dana, do you have an update on Stevenson? Are you optimistic? kind of sucks when your best player goes out after one catch, but that's football and it's 2020 and it doesn't matter, man. You know, I, th- I did think Bryson Smith went in and made a couple of plays. We've been waiting on him to do that. And that was his opportunity to be able to go in there. It's been the same song and dance since June. We coach who's available. Um, you know, nobody cares, you know, that a couple of our captains couldn't play. Nobody, nobody's going to cut anybody any slack whatsoever. Uh, we got guys that are out, but we got guys that need to step in there and play. That's the bottom line. So, you know, we, we the, the, the better those backups go in there and play, the, the, the better chance we have of winning. At that, that's every team across the country. You know, Central Florida didn't cry about two of their best defenders not being there. They played their best game defensively against us without two of their better players. So, you know, that's not an excuse not to play well. Beck Bryson Smith to step in there and play at a high level. Terrell Brown is going to have season-ending knee surgery. That was unfortunate. He was starting to play a little bit uh, on special teams. You know, so he's he's a long-term guy. It's it's not a good one either. So I uh, feel, feel bad for him. And then I told you about Patrick Paul last week. So those guys are out. Uh, those guys are done for the year. You know, everybody else from, you know, Donnie Buton to Jeremy Singleton to Garrison Vaughn, Kelvin Clements, you know, all those guys are day to day. I've never seen anything like it from COVID to just the way things are. Um, I don't know if it's lack of preseason hitting or, or COVID or I don't know. But it's 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 literally day to day on who's available. Dana, on their offensive side for Cincinnati, Ritter seems to be a handful. Is there anything specific about his style? Uh, is he a bigger guy? Is, is he a bigger guy in terms of the ability to run that kind of stuff? Yeah, he kind of looks like Kaepernick out there. Honestly, I mean it's it's crazy how we're discussing politics and and but it, it, that came up two or three times with with him. But he's 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 six four two fifteen and. Runs runs pretty good, you know. I I didn't realize he ran that dang good, and then he got out against Cincinnati a couple of times, and 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 looked pretty daggum impressive to me. He he's uh he's a seasoned guy, you know, same guy we played last year, you know. But he's he's got a lot of experience and a lot of snaps under his belt. It seems like every quarterback we play in this league has a ton of experience. They'll be saying that about our guy here real quick, hopefully. But you know, they they do a good job offensively at controlling the game. You know, they're they're familiar with their old line coach. He worked for me at uh, West Virginia and does a great job in the run game, being physical and scheming people up. And uh, their run games where it all starts. He's a big part of that. Uh, Ritter's a big part of that. And then they got quality receivers and they always have a couple of tight ends. that give you problems as well. Dana, if Marquez is limited or can't go, does, how much does it change your thinking or is it simply the system is what it is and you plug and play? Yeah, we, we're not. I don't know how you could change a whole lot. Um but, you know, Bryson Smith's been sitting there doing the same stuff that Marquez has. So, you know, if we got to get into the Marcus Cockrell world with uh, true freshmen and stuff at some point, we're prepared to be able to do that. But um, 
I, I don't know how much you're going to be able to change. I mean, we, we got plenty of offense and plays that we got to be able to, to, to execute, you know, and, and, you know, there is plays to be made last week. You know, I got to do a, job, a better job of, of coaching. There's no, no question about that. Just the overall game last week wasn't acceptable. Uh, we didn't, we didn't come close to playing well enough to win. That falls on me. And that's everywhere. That's offense, defense, special teams. So I got to do a better job of coaching and getting these guys to understand what we're trying to do and get them to do a better job of executing what we're trying to get done. Dana, when you did go back and look at the film after Saturday from the offensive standpoint, was there, was there anything that you that confirmed what you believed or was there something that, that put your finger on, on what was going on offensively? I, obviously what they did was a big factor, but on y'all's end. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and say that they're bad and we should have done a lot better. They, that's as good as they've played defensively. Uh, Randy Shannon uh, is a good quality defensive coordinator. They have really good players. They, that's the best they've played. They, they were, they were physical up front. They, we didn't have open people and they didn't miss tackles. Now with that said, we didn't execute very good either. So, you know, I just, I got to do a better job of getting our guys ready to play. And when you get into a game like that, you know, you got to score. You know, maybe there was probably a little bit of pressing going on, which we can't worry about that offensively. Uh, We got to just worry about what our job is and execute plays and get first downs, which hopefully turn into into points. Uh, Clearly didn't score anywhere near enough points to be able to compete with the team like Central Florida. And I got to do a better job of getting our guys to execute. Back on Bryson, Dana, when you got here, I remember, you know, we were asking you about his future and, you know, he was a former high school quarterback and you were like, he needs to focus on receiver. What have you seen in this year and in four games from him along those lines in his development? Uh, well, not, not, not a whole lot. <laughs> You've watched the games too. Uh, you know, we try to do a couple of different things with them and we'll continue to try to do a couple of different things with them like, like we did last year. Um, you know, ho- hopefully he's just now starting to come into his own a little bit. You know, I mean, we're not going to gear our entire offense around a guy that wasn't even a starter here. So, uh, but but I, I, I have been happy with the way he went in there last week and made a couple of plays, got him a couple of first downs. I, I thought he looked good, and I think he'll continue to progress. Um, still relatively raw in the receiver game, which that just, you know, nobody cares. You got to get better quick and go in there and and, and, and play at a high level. And that, that's you know, that's regardless of who's available to play or, or not available to play. You know, he's one of the guys that's been playing that needs to continue to progress. Dana, uh, it's looked like in the pregame the last few weeks, like the attention with MOBA has been to try to give it a go. Has there just been something as the game begins or you go through things that he just isn't quite there yet? Yeah, I think that's probably a good assessment. He 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 practiced better last week, but you know we just had a hard time getting things going in the run game. Uh, we got we got to work hard on that. Uh, Cincinnati is is really good against the run, um, you know. But with that said, I don't care who we play. We got to get the run game going, and uh, you know, Mold is a big part of that. So he looked good. He he looked good yesterday. So hopefully, we'll keep bringing him along and get him back to to where he was for the four games that he played in last year. He hadn't, he hadn't looked like that yet this year, but we have confidence in him to be able to, to get there. And hopefully that happens this week. That again is Dana Holgerson. A reminder that you can catch Dana with me tomorrow at two o'clock on a Thursday edition of the Matt Thomas show right here on sports talk 790. Also his coach's show will be at seven o'clock tomorrow on nine fifty KPRC. We visit with Chris Pesman next as the Cougar sports magazine continues here on sports talk 790. You're listening to Cougar Sports Magazine. Now, back to Matt Thomas. 
Cougar Sports Magazine continues here on Sports Talk 790 with a visit with the Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics, my good friend, the Director of Athletics, Chris Pezman. Pez, uh, that UCF game, uh, kind of aggravating, disappointing that uh, they came in, beat our Cougars, and uh, it was a tough go of things, really especially after kind of getting through the adjustments of trying to stop that team that doesn't like to ever take any breaths on offense. Yeah, it, you know, credit UCF, they came in and they beat us. We didn't we didn't play well, and Dana will say the same thing in all aspects of the game, from you know coaching to execution. There was you know there was a lot of uh, opportunity that we left out there in the game, but uh, credit UCF, they came in, they stuck to their philosophy, and yeah, I think they ran 120 plays on offense, and uh, we didn't adjust well uh, to it throughout the game. But you know that's part of the maturation process of our team is. Uh, having unfortunate moments like that, but I, I can assure you we're learning from them and we will be better. What do you think about, because you're such a connoisseur of good college football, it takes a special athlete to be able to run that type. It takes a special type of defense to stop plays like that. Do you think we'll see more teams in the next decade go to more of that kind of style where they really don't take much time to huddle up, or is it still a, a huge part of the process of, of gaining composure and moving down the field properly? No, I, I would actually tell you teams are going away from it, Matt. Um, you know, Dana, Leach, um, all the area guys, they were doing that for a time. And what you find is, and, and I experienced it where I was before I came here to Houston at, when I was at Cal. We ran that style. Um, what you find is that you can't hold up over the course of an entire season. You might have moments where it, of brilliance, you know, of, you know, just, you know, dropping 60 on somebody, but you get so many snaps in that you don't have the depth in your roster to sustain it for an entire season. Um, I think, again, you've seen that maturation with Dana as a head coach where he ran that previously. And it, it, and what it does is it exposes your defense. Um, let's see, you go three and out, and it's 18 seconds of, of, of actual play clock. Yeah. And then you go out, your defense gets back on the field. It, it just, to me, it's something that, you know, we talked about philosophically with Dana you know, when we were talking about this job and, and one of the things I really appreciated about him is his evolution as a coach of going away from it um, because it, it, it can really expose you in complementary football. And um, I, I like where we're going, uh, where we have, you know, where we've seen the growth of defense, where we've seen the emphasis on a running game of a balanced offense because that is what's going to sustain you when you make a, a really deep run in the postseason um, and that's what we're setting ourselves up for. Before we look forward to uh, Saturday's game with Cincinnati, let's go to a, on your old stomping grounds, the Pac-12. Uh, I had Joe Clatt on my radio show this morning, and he's going to be on uh, the call of the Arizona State-USC game. How would you as an administrator think about playing football games at 9 a.m. in the morning kickoff time local? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. The, the wake-up time for pregame meals, which sounds really, you know, you're waking your kids up at like 5.30 in the morning right. and expecting them to be ready to go. Maybe if you're at one of the service academies, that works where those kids are truly accustomed to it. But, you know, at a big state institution where you typically aren't doing that, uh, I understand what they're trying to do from an exposure standpoint, and you've got to do it. And, um, you know, having been out there, you know, those, the, the opposite of it is, are those late kickoffs. Uh, I, I remember a game last year in the Pac-12 where they, you know, they had a rain delay and they didn't finish till, you know, like one thirty in the morning central. And so you lose that exposure. I, there's a balance there, but I, I personally, you know, 
I have a hard time reconciling the 9 a.m. kick. Yeah, I, I, to a bigger point, and you can certainly talk about this as the athletic director at U of H and also with your time elsewhere, uh, how much television conversation, fighting for start times, uh, is it done largely, I'm assuming, at the, at the commissioner's level and the assistant commissioner's level for the league in terms of trying to get your squad and your teams and your league to get the best possible television spots? Yeah, it really comes from uh, for the linear broadcasts, those are set truly by the network with a conversation at the league level. Um, the opportunity for athletic directors is, uh, and, and coaches and, and administrators to have a say in that is very rare. The, 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 the one caveat to that is with the plus package, um, we are able to set those kick times. So last week, the UCF game being on Halloween, for us, we were trying to find that sweet spot between you know, parents with kids that have early, you know, youth football or youth sports, and then also knowing families that want to get home for Halloween at night. So that's why we ended up at one o'clock and we were able to pick that kick time. Same thing conversely for the USF game. You know, we pushed it back a little bit because it wasn't Halloween and we're starting at two, but those midday kick times are the ones that seem to benefit the, the, the broader spectrum of our fans. But you know the 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 linear network times. Those are we we don't get a lot of seeing those. Right, right. So now uh, f- football is moving along nicely, and everybody's passing COVID tests. It's the next focus for you as an administrator and as a leader of all these young men, all these different programs, is getting basketball going. And I know that the schedule will be announced in the next handful of days for the entire season. Where are you week to week on making sure these kids who are now practicing? Still following proper protocols, and we get a basketball season started here at the end of the month. Yeah, it, it, in a lot of ways, basketball is a lot more sensitive with the testing than even football. Um, it, it doesn't sound intuitive until I'll say this: is you think about the proximity of football players, and we've timed it out over the course of the season through contact tracing. The max that you'll get is a lineman, and it's about eight, eight to ten minutes over the course of a game. And contact tracing, the threshold is 15 minutes for positive contact tracing if somebody was positive around someone. Basketball is an entirely different animal. You think about guys that are leaning against each other in the paint, and that eclipses itself almost immediately then with the contact tracing of a 13-person roster in men's basketball and 15 in women's basketball. It takes a team down almost instantly if you have a positive. And obviously, given the prospects for us with basketball with both uh, men and women, we're very sensitive to making sure we're giving them um, as much of a bubble and the resources to protect themselves as much as possible because we, we plan on being pretty dang good at basketball and, and having a great season. So it's, um, you know, it's testing. It's two PCR tests a week and antigen tests the day of the game. Um, there's some things that we're talking about from a strategy standpoint. If you do daily antigen testing, um, what that does is it allows you to tighten up the contact tracing so you don't maybe have to go to the second or third order of person mm-hmm. if that person is positive um it, it's it's very detailed um it's very costly but you know fortunately the university is giving us a chance to to do this the right way and give our kids a chance and and, and we're very appreciative of that next time we visit chris we'll get to this ticket structure and how people are starting to figure out a way to come check out the games as those uh, games will be coming up at the end of the month let's get to the football side of things uh, a lot of attention to the university of cincinnati about being maybe on the outside looking in or maybe trying to sneak their way into a college football playoff there's one way that uh, that can be ruined and that's with a cougar victory saturday in cincinnati 
yeah, I'm more than happy to go ruin those aspirations for Cincinnati. Um, it's, uh, but you know, kudos to them. This has been a, a, a building process for Coach Pickle, who uh, got a lot of respect for. He's a, he's a, a really great coach and a good person, and he's been building that program to get to this point. Um, if you look at his rosters, it's a bunch of juniors and seniors and kids that have been starting for multiple years. Um, and it's, it, but as a league. You know, we're it's, this is a very competitive, very deep league. Um, you know, obviously we're two and one in league play, but there's a, you know, Tulsa's undefeated. You know, Navy was until we played them two weeks ago, and, and they turned around and I think they won this last game this last weekend. You know, this is top to bottom, probably as competitive as this league's been since it started, and um, getting a team through it unscathed is not going to be easy. I know. Uh, so I still has UCF left on their schedule, and it's going to be interesting to see this way to see the way this plays out. Well, hopefully, it all starts with a Houston victory up there, and uh, we look travel trip up there, and we'll see you uh, Saturday in Cincinnati. Look forward to it, Matt. I always appreciate you and, and appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. And look forward to a great game on Saturday. Go Cougs. That is Chris Pesman, our athletic director, with us here on Cougar Sports Magazine. We go on the Cougar Beat next. This is the Cougar Sports Magazine on Sports Talk 790. You're listening to Cougar Sports Magazine. Now, back to Matt Thomas. And welcome back to our Cougar Sports Magazine segment where we get to talk with our good friend from the Houston Chronicle on the U of H beat, Joseph Duarte. Joseph, I was almost physically and mentally exhausted watching UCF not taking any snaps in terms of uh, huddles. And that, Let's try this again. Three, two, one. And we are back here on the Cougar Sports Magazine with Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle on the U of H beat. Joseph, I was physically and mentally exhausted watching UCF offensively. How about you? Yeah, when you when you have 80-plus, and, and to be honest with you, Matt, they averaged about 92. They only had 84 in this game, so you probably weren't as mentally taxed as you thought you would be. But, but nonetheless, they did run the ball a lot. They did pass it a lot. Uh, it was a typical UCF uh, offensive day, put up nearly 700 yards. But they uh, it caused problems and it created a lot of problems for Houston defensively. They uh, after the game, a lot of players were talking about the communication issues, getting lined up. I saw some substitutions that were coming in late. Uh, that's what's going to happen when you face a an up tempo, no huddle team, and you you look at what they're going to be presented with this week with Cincinnati. I think they match up better because uh, nobody runs tempo like UCF and and. Cincinnati's more of a deliberate offense that lines up, kind of sets their plays, and then beats you in so many other ways that they don't necessarily need to go up-tempo. So the Cougar run defense was so good through the first three weeks, takes a step back against UCF. Was that just a bad week, or did UCF find something that the other teams can then look at on film? Well, UCF just completely dominated them on the line, and you know Dana Holgerson uh, said as much after the game, he said as much during the the week uh, with the media that you know they've got to they've got to tighten things up on the offensive line. Uh, you look at where some of the pressure was coming from. Uh, you know they were without the left tackle Patrick Paul. He's out for the year, so they had Ruben Anuhe uh, playing left tackle at times. Uh, he flip flopped a lot of the guys at the left guard position, starting with Keenan Murphy. Then he went with Gio Pancotti. He had Max Baines. Really thought Mac Baines uh, had the better game out of the three. You'll see some changes up front because uh, they have not gotten anything going 
from from a, a run game standpoint, and you also look at on the defensive line what what UCF was able to do, and they just completely just pushed uh, pushed Houston around and was able to get you know over 300 yards on the ground. This was a murderer's row, so to speak, in in the uh, schedule. Uh, and the thing that scared me was as the Cougars were unfortunately losing to UCF. I was watching that Memphis-Cincinnati game score on the big screen over at the stadium, and the Bearcats just piled it on the Tigers. So, uh, I, unfortunately, I think the Cougars are catching Cincinnati at the exact wrong time. They are, and, you know, you look at the teams in the American, a lot of them are, are have the ability to score, and when you can shut down a, a Memphis offense that uh, has playmakers and, and hold them like Cincinnati did uh, you know that's saying something I I think no one would argue that Cincinnati is is certainly the the contender the the favorite in the conference and and really at this point it's not far-fetched at number six in the country to see them at least in the discussion for that last uh, spot in the college football playoff will it happen Uh, you know we we've been down this road undefeated with Central Florida a few years ago but they are built uh on defense, they're allowing 12 points a game, about 300 yards total offense. You know, when Dana Holgerson was talking about them this week, he went through the two deep and kept going senior, senior, junior, senior, senior, senior. And he was just basically, he said at the end, you get the point. This is a veteran, defensive, experienced team that, that can beat you. They, they, they put pressure on you. They defend well. And you're right. I think this is a, a bad time to be going up against them after you come up against a, a really tough US UCF team. And then, you know, you look down the road, you still have SMU, Tulsa, and Memphis. So this this was not going to be uh, an easy closing stretch for, for Houston by any means. And I guess the big question is, how long is Marquez Stevenson out and what a buzzkill it was for him to leave the game so early last Saturday against UCF? Yeah, when you're not doing anything offensively and then your, your star player goes out after one catch – Early in the first quarter, that's just kind of a, an omen for the for the rest of the game. He is he's definitely out for. And then moving forward, I think you run into the issue of whether or not uh, how long term this is. If it's a high ankle sprain or if it's more of just a, a sprain that needs a little bit uh, of rest. Now, I think what happens is you play a UCF team uh, next week that. You know they're at the bottom of the of the conference, and you you maybe you don't need him necessarily in that game, so that maybe you give him an additional week. But I think eventually this has the the looks of a of a multiple week uh, missing games for um, Marquez Stevenson. And that's sad because he was starting to pick up where he left off last year, and really exploded against Navy. Was over 100 yards twice so far this year. Uh, I guess it's next man up and. That's difficult because not only does Marquez do a great job catching the football, but he's so good with yards after the catch. Right, and, and you know, by losing him, you take certain things out, multiple things out. You know, he also returns kicks, and he's one of the more dynamic return guys in the country. And you look at what they've had. You know, Jeremy Singleton's also out in the receiving core. So, you know, where do they go? And, and the, what uh, what Dana Holgerson told us this week was that Bryson Smith would be that guy who plays that H receiver spot, the inside spot, and, and kind of go from there. You know, we've all kind of followed Bryce in you know, the last few years. The former quarterback got converted to receiver. He's still very raw, very inexperienced. He was never going to play quarterback under Holgerson. So 
they've they really have tried to get him to to do things uh, to get better at the receiver spot. They've even worked him in at times in some wildcat. They they've also used them sort of similar how they use Marquez, you know, on sweeps and that kind of stuff, just to get him involved because they feel like he he is a playmaker. But it's been a very slow process. So you know, for now they go with him. You know, Dana Hogerson even mentioned that they could go with a true freshman, Marcus Cockrell, at some point. But if if they're doing that, then that's you know going to be kind of a sign of of how things are. So they're, they're hoping it's certainly not a long-term uh, absence for Stevenson. All right. So lastly, how do you beat a Cincinnati team with a quarterback like Desmond Ritter that has won the American Athletic Conference Offensive Player of the Week two weeks in a row? Well, this is a game that you can't have the missed tackles. You know, you look at UCF, and I know things were fast, but Houston was very aggressive. Probably um, they were over-aggressive. You saw them, uh, the angles that they were taking, they were just overshooting uh, tackles and you know it just it became a mess where uh, guys were getting extra yardage after after contact and and most of the time there wasn't even any contact you just had guys that were wide open I think you you definitely have to be more sure tacklers you have to you have to kind of have that you know gang up approach where everybody's around the ball and because this is also a big guy I mean he's he's a a a, a load to bring down he's he's not uh, he's not a small guy. And they feel like you know, they can't allow him to uh, to get outside and, and gain his yards because you know this is a quarterback that almost put up 200 yards rushing uh, in the in the last couple of games in one game alone. So uh, they they can beat you with the pass, but I, but I think it starts up front and you got to take away that running from them and then hope that your your secondary and that your 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 defensive backs can can make some plays back there. Great stuff as always, Joseph. Thanks for the visit. We really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. You got it. Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle on the U of HB. More coming up as we go down to the sidelines next when we visit with our friend Jeremy Branham. This is Cougar Sports Magazine on Sports Talk 790. This is Cougar Sports Magazine. Here again is Matt Thomas. Final segment of Cougar Sports Magazine here on Sports Talk 790. Being joined right now by my good friend and member of our broadcast team on the sidelines, Jeremy Branham, of course, also the voice of Cougar basketball. We'll get a little bit on that as well. But first things, Jeremy, uh, tell the audience, if you don't mind, take us to your world and what it's like, because I've done it a couple times, but I want you to explain to our audience the differences you see on a sideline as you walk and work the game and just the kind of mannerisms and how people conduct themselves during college football in a COVID season? You know, it's a lot different. Uh, this season, there's a lot more room to roam than most seasons because they don't allow, you know, spectators to, on, on the field at all where, you know, years past, you could have a sideline pass and watch the game as long as you're outside of the team boxes. So I don't have to, to navigate through a bunch of fans. Uh, before games, there's always a bunch of recruits before the game on the field. So they're trying to give them the whole tour. They're trying to show them that stuff isn't around anymore. Uh, there's a lot less photographers. Uh, I think you can only get one camera for every TV network in the city. Uh, so there's a lot more room, uh, to be quite frank. Um, my, my limitations haven't been that much different. Um, either, I can't get in the box anymore. I would used to walk in the team box, um, which is something that I don't even mess with this year just because I don't want to raise any red flags or spook anybody. So I stay out of the boxes. Uh, I would I would used to go to the the locker room at halftime uh, prior to this season. Just go you know find a snack in there, Gatorade, something like that. 
but I don't do that this year just because trying to stay as far away from the players as possible as you know as being which is being instructed to everybody so uh, things are things are considerably different maybe in my world they're not as different because I'm still given the freedom to move around but uh, not as many people not even close I'm actually mad at you because I filled in for you a couple of times and you never brought up the getting a snack at halftime from somebody in the <laughs> locker room. So shame on you for not passing the information along to me. Yeah, um, that's my fault. I knew you couldn't do that this year, though, so I didn't want to yeah. put that, that in your mind where you get a snack at halftime and then have to disappoint you saying, oh, but not this year, Matt. Yeah. How, uh, for you, it was a big surprise for me, so I'll ask for you, turning around and seeing less than full crowds. And not every game we've ever broadcast is at a sellout crowd, but we've had some big crowds both home and the road. And to see just a smattering of fans, it's almost like, and I don't know if you can experience this like I have, when somebody wants to criticize a team or love on the team, you basically can hear it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because every now and then I catch myself, I'll turn down uh, my, my headphones. That way I can hear, you know, the, the few people and hear what they're saying. But no, you can, you know, they try to drown it out as much as they can. Like, you, you know, they have the, 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 I guess, the crowd noise funneling in through the, the crowd PA to the PA speakers there at the stadium, but they turn that off when there's like a player down or they, they have random moments where they turn it off. Uh, you know, they try to get the band to play at certain moments, but they're not always going to play for the entire 60 minutes of a game. So there are certainly some, some times whenever you can hear the guy in the upper deck, you know, you could have a conversation with him if you wanted to. And, you know, I, I did that in the UCF game. I turned it down quite often. My, my headphones listening to the radio broadcast, and I would just hear what the fans were saying. Most of the time, they're criticizing the officials, and the officials can hear very well what the fans are unhappy about. But uh, you know, it's interesting. I like to I like to hear the fans. I like to hear them more whenever it's more of a roar than one individual person. Uh, but it's also cool because you can hear the the coaches and the players, you know, yelling back and forth to each other, and hear the calls from the sidelines, and more communication from player and coach. So, you know. I, I wouldn't trade 2020 for any other year, but it, it does have its uh, its intriguing moments. I'm asking you now about the officials. Can you hear them having conversations? I was unable to do that because that crowd noise does kick in, but I'm mm -hmm. always the most curious about what they go through on, on replay because most times the officials have to go 50, 75 yards the other direction to kind of look at the view and, and get it because they just don't bring the – the the headset and the camera equipment right to the officials they have to actually travel to one end of the stadium you can hear it a little bit on uh on reviews uh you can't really hear their communication in like in the, the run of play you know whenever they call a penalty because they have those little you know headphones that they talk to each other through so they don't have to get together and huddle after everything uh, most crews have little headphones where they can communicate across the field with each other so that that really hasn't changed a whole lot that's just barely above a whisper it's not something you'll really pick up on. Uh, but there, there's been a time or two wherever I would – I always go to where the officials are, are looking yeah. at the video monitor, unless I'm just obstructed and way too far away. Uh, but I, I try to always go and get a – usually you can get a pretty good hand if they're going to change the call based on them riding on the pad because now they're writing down, okay, what's the down and distance? What's the yard line? How much time do we have? Do we need to put more time on the clock? So usually if they go to the pad, they're, they're changing something. 
But now you can hear that communication a little bit. Now you're here, okay, you know, ball at the 45, right. you know, ball left dash, second and 10, whatever. So it, it is pretty interesting. It's a little bit of the more of the nuance of the game. Before I let you run, let me get to some basketball talk. I am highly excited. Uh, I follow a bunch of national basketball writers that are just bragging on the University of Houston. Caleb Mills, preseason conference player of the year, the Cougars number one in terms of uh, the conference rankings. Now, again, they don't mean much at the end of the day, but I love the preseason excitement. I'm sure you do the same the same way yeah you know i think it's a carryover from last season and just the positive momentum of the direction you know kelvin sampson's done an unbelievable job i i'm not sure there's any coach in the nation that i would take over kelvin sampson for you know when he inherited this program and the job that he's done since then it has been amazing and there's a lot of talent to the on this team the, the guard play is tremendous you mentioned caleb mills the american conference preseason player of the year i'm not so sure he's going to start for the houston cougars and he's the preseason player of the year uh, Quentin Grimes is somebody that I'm really interested in this year. You know, he had a solid year last year. You know, was he a lotto pick good last year? Maybe not, but he's kind of under the radar this season. In his junior year, I'm really excited about him. Um, if there's one, you know, questionable area, it's the post play. You know, you lost Chris Harris, who was your best center last year. Fabian White went down with the ACL, but the Cougars don't ask their centers to do a whole lot or their bigs to do a whole lot. They want them to rebound, set picks, you know, protect the rim. Uh, but I'm really excited for this season. We could start a little later this month. Yeah, the only thing I'm a little nervous about is uh, if COVID becomes an issue uh, and contact tracing and how it would shut down a program. And, and Chris Pesman and I have talked about that a lot. But I don't want, want to worry about that with you. What I'm really curious about is that hopefully we're in arenas eventually, maybe not even for the conference season or, the, or any parts of the regular season, but I would hate to lose the love of going to a different city, playing you know, in that – region going to a sweet 16 that's the kind of stuff that i think college basketball will really miss if they keep things kind of in a bubble atmosphere yeah i couldn't agree more i i love i like i love visiting games i love going into an opposing you know arena and coming out on top like to me that's the best sound in sport whenever you're silencing a sold out arena or silencing you know a huge crowd i i love that maybe it's the antagonist in me who knows but i think that's the sweetest sound in sports and, and, and whenever you talk about like the ncaa tournament too right like that the, the neutral setting is is you know it's not as hostile i guess as like a game at the fertita center or a game a big game on the road but it still has that atmosphere it still has that buzz the crowd and every single moment in the tournament game matters so much you know you have people on their feet with 12 minutes left to play in a game and you can just feel you know how important those moments are and I do question, like you, you know, would that be the same in a bubble? I, I would argue that it probably wouldn't. So, yeah, I, I love the stadium atmosphere. I love the arena atmosphere, and I hope that's something that comes back sooner rather than later. From your, from, uh, your mouth to basketball God's ears, my friend, thank you for the visit, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the airport on Friday. Looking for a good trip to Cincinnati this weekend. Sounds good. I'll let you buy me dinner. You hear the awkward silence right there? <laughs> it's real. That's Jeremy Branham, our silent reporter and, of course, in the voice of Cougar basketball. A reminder that Dana Holgerson will join me tomorrow at 2 o'clock on my radio show. It's called The Matt Thomas Show. I invite you to listen from noon until 3. And the Cougars and the Bearcats will play football Saturday on our sister station, 950 KPRC. I'll have the pregame show at 1.30. Jeremy, along with Kevin Ashenfelder and Ted Party, will have the call at 2.30. I want to thank all my guests. Thanks for all of you Cougars for listening. And we'll talk again next week in the same spot for Cougar Sports Magazine on Sports Talk 790. On the Houston Sports Network from Learfield IMG College, you've been listening to Cougar Sports Magazine.
The preceding has been a presentation of Learfield IMG College and the Houston Sports Network.